In this podcast episode, we want to introduce you to our BCEN friend, Steve Cumming. Come along as Michael Dexter and Holly Briggs talk with Steve about his career in nursing, from starting as a tech in the ICU to soaring into the clouds of flight nursing. Steve is up for the challenge, whether it's a critical patient or exploring the great outdoors. This episode is called Engineered for Critical Thinking and Professional Growth. Hello, and welcome to the BCN and Friends podcast, where we hold interesting conversations about learning with a range of thought leaders, BCN certification holders, and industry professionals, but most importantly, to create value and insight for you, our professional nurses across the emergency spectrum. We hope you find our discussions interesting, informative, sometimes funny, sometimes serious, but always valuable. I'm Holly Briggs, a professional development specialist at BCN and one of your hosts for today. I'm joined by my co-host, Michael Dexter, Director of Professional Development at BCEN. Hi, Michael. Hello, Holly. Great to have you with us today. In this episode of BCN and Friends, we have Steve Cumming. Steve is an emergency critical care and flight nurse who is passionate about education and will be doing just that in May of 2023 at BCN Learn Live in Dallas. Super excited to get some time with him now and then. Michael, could you please introduce us to our BCN and friend, Steve? Yeah, I'd be happy to. I've known Steve for a few years now as one of the CFRN item writers, and Steve has been in healthcare for over 30 years. He started his career in the U.S. Navy, and following an honorable discharge, he obtained his nursing degree. His early nursing career was in the emergency and ICU settings. However, after 15 years, Steve found his true passion, which was flight nursing. He advocates for lifelong learning and has spoken on the topics of leadership, critical care, and education. Steve has been married for 20 years, in his words, to an exceptional woman who is my rock, which is Karen, and together they have four beautiful kids and three amazing grandkids. When he's not flying or teaching, Steve enjoys the outdoors, camping, hiking, and off-roading. Steve, welcome to the BCN and Friends podcast. It's a pleasure to have you with us today. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, well, we're happy that you're here and you, um, you've you you've worked in these different settings that I just mentioned, but I was kind of curious if you could go back to your military career, telling us a little bit more about what you did in the military and did that anyway equate to healthcare or what made you decide to go from that to a healthcare career? Yeah, so um, it was really, I, I've just been so fortunate in my career. I, I have kind of stumbled from position to position with no fault of my own, which has kind of led me to where I am now. Uh, So I joined the Navy in 1990 uh, with kind of a career path, but no guaranteed job. And uh, when I got to boot camp, they said, here are your three choices. And so I picked hospital corpsman, not really because I had any passion for it or anything, but just because it kind of seemed like it would be the easiest one to get into. Uh, and then when I went to school um, to, to learn how to do that, I just found that I really enjoyed medicine and um, it, the concepts and, and the practice kind of came easy to me. And it kind of started this 30 year trip that I've been on ever since. I only spent four years in the Navy, but I did the majority of that time uh, on the green side with the United States Marine Corps as a senior corpsman for an infantry company. It was just uh, just a great kind of formative experience for me. So I got out, lucked into a job uh, through a family friend at a local hospital uh, in the ICU as a kind of glorified CNA that um, also did 12 leads and, and set the telemonitors. Uh, and the assistant manager that gave me that job, it was her pilot pet program. 
she ended up eventually becoming the CNO of that whole, that whole hospital organization. And I just kind of rode her coattails. Uh, when I got my nursing degree, I, I started in the ICU. She was the director of the ICU then. And, um, she helped me transition from the ICU down to the emergency department. And, um, so I, I, like I said, I've just been really fortunate in my career, kind of just done this one step has kind of fallen into the next and kind of led me to where I am today. So we had mentioned uh, early on that you had you'd worked in the ER and the ICU, but what prompted you to kind of move from that into a flight nursing role, or what was the what was the golden ticket per se that would say this is it? This is what I know I want to do with my career. Well, so the hospital I was working at uh, was a level two trauma center, and it had a helipad uh, that was right out outside the emergency department and the ICU was right above the emergency department. So every day I go to work, I'd see the helicopter come in and land on the pad at the hospital. And so I think my time in the Navy had kind of given me this thirst for adrenaline. And so I just always said, Hey, one day I'm going to be on that helicopter. It took a little while for me to get there. Um, and the reason for that was, uh, actually financial, it, you know, it, all of us in flight know it doesn't really pay as much as working in the brick and mortar hospital. Um, but there just happened to be a, a point in time where the air medical community had gotten a raise and, and it became financially viable for me to give it a shot. I had some friends that were already working on a helicopter. And so they, they got me an interview and I kind of haven't looked back. It's kind of funny because I, when I went to apply, um, this is back in 2008. So 15 years ago, uh, I remember vividly having a conversation with my wife on our drive home from work. She's an emergency room nurse too. And we were talking about, I'm like, I think I'm going to throw my shot in for air medical. And uh, so we talked about it the whole ride home. And so we kind of came up with this plan where, where I would go and fly for two years and then she would go and fly for two years and we kind of get it out of our system. And, and that was 15 years ago. And I haven't, I haven't given up the range yet. And so Steve, you've been in flight nursing for 15 years, you said. Um, and so having been in that specialty of nursing, of air medical transport, how would you say that it has changed over the years since you started? Like, what are some of the, the things that you have noticed? Obviously, healthcare medicine is always advancing. There's always something new. There's always new studies, new medicines, new equipment. But like, what have you seen have been like the biggest changes for you over time? That's a great question. So um, without naming any names, I, I work for the 800 pound gorilla in the industry. And when I first started, the program that I'm with was kind of left alone. Uh, we didn't have a lot of contact with the mothership. And it was, I look back on it and I think it was, it was a little bit like cowboys and Indians. We had our own education department. We had our own HR department. And so uh, we were kind of on our own. And I've watched over the last 15 years, it evolve as uh, the organization has become more and more standardized, I guess is probably the best word. Um, and, and that's brought some good and some bad with it. The education is on point. I mean, we, we, uh, my operation has the resources to really spare no expense. And so the Simex labs and the, and the cadaver labs and, and um, the resources that they put into educating their clinicians is great. On the other hand, um, there seems to be this obsession with standardization in our industry, which I can understand. There's a place for that. And there's some good times for that and some bad times for that. But anytime you try and 
write out every scenario that can possibly happen in a, uh, in a book um, and then hand it to your clinicians and say, well, just follow the book. Then I think you lose that important aspect of critical thinking, which is really, I think, what sets us apart in this industry as clinicians. I think this, you know, this is one role where uh, without an advanced practice, um, you really have a lot of autonomy. And so in order to perform well, you need to, you need to be able to, to exercise that critical thinking. I think that's a great point, Steve. And it really goes into my next question as well. But you know, you mentioned, I've heard it referred to sometimes as like cookbook medicine, basically like having the same recipe for every patient. We know that that just simply isn't the case. But we, you know, you mentioned what needs to be done and the autonomy and being able to think critically in order to work in this industry. And so my question for you was that if somebody does, they just want to be a good nurse, maybe not even a flight nurse, but just a really good clinician in general, what are some of the tips you would give them if they come up to you and they say, Hey, you're, you're a nurse, you've been doing it a long time. How can I be a really good nurse? What, what kind of career path would you tell them to, to start on? Well, I, I've always operated in the critical care environment. So, I mean, that's kind of my experience. And, and I would say if, if specifically what you want to do is flight, or, or even if you just want to operate in critical care, then, then I think there's a, a pretty good recipe for how to proceed. And, and that is, I would say, as soon as you get out of nursing school, as soon as you can, try and get into an ICU program and go new grad ICU. And, and I think the reason for that is because when you work uh, in intensive care, you have two patients, you're responsible for them, you've got them for 12 hours, you get to know what's going on with those patients at the cellular level, you have, you know, a whole shift to really hone in your assessment skills, you get to see cause and effect, uh, you know, when you start this medication, sure, it, it fixes the problem you're addressing in the short term, but what's the sequelae three hours later, or even three days later, and so you, you really get to understand how all the systems work together and, and get a great understanding of that. And then once you start getting comfortable in that ICU environment, then it's time to transfer down to the ER. When God made nurses, it, he made ICU nurses and ER nurses diametrically opposed. They're, just, they're almost like a different species because in the ER, it's exactly the opposite. Uh, ICU nurses tend to crave order and structure. Uh, which is great, which is necessary. Uh, and ER, it's all fly by the seat of your pants and it's going from one, one chaotic patient to the next. And so I think if you, if you can hone those skills and develop the ability to operate smoothly and efficiently in each one of those environments, I, it's the ideal recipe to prepare you for flight because you never know when the tones go off and, you know, Am I going to a, a bus full of old hemophiliacs uh, that are all on blood thinners that just just rolled over on the interstate, or am I going to an ICU where they've actively been trying to kill this patient for two years or two weeks on the ventilator, and now I've got to transfer them out so they can go get ECMO. And so you you have to be able to flip on a switch and be able to operate in both environments. So I think that's a that's a good recipe for either just staying in critical care or or transitioning to flight. But to be a good clinician, I, I think the most important element is you've really just got to have a thirst for knowledge. It's super easy in our industry to, to, to get into an area and find your comfort zone and then just coast there. You know, you, you get really good at, at um, operating the ECMO machine or operating CRT or, or whatever your niche is. And then you can just coast because you've got that down. And what I like is the challenge of being thrown into different environments and different places that, that force me to grow. 
as a nurse and I'm constantly challenged to be better. Yeah, I think that's a great point is um, there there's a lot of times when I've told people before that as soon as you find your comfort zone, find a way out of it. And <laughs> I think that's, uh, you know, that's pretty standard in, in the air medical industry of to constantly try to grow, to constantly learn, constantly be seeking more knowledge. And I personally have seen some changes recently in that where more and more people it seems like there's more and more people that are that are coming in that are like, I passed my NCLEX. I'm just going to find a place and settle in. Maybe there've been a lot before and I just wasn't as aware of it. But I think having that constant drive to do more, to learn more, push outside of your boundaries is really important. So thank you for sharing that. Sure. I think that's the type of personality that's drawn to flight. I mean, I don't think there's anything wrong with if, you know, that's, if you found what you want to do and you're comfortable there and, and, and that, you know, brings you joy, then, then that's great. But in this kind of environment, you're never done. There's, there's always, as, as Holly said before, medicine A is always evolving. So there's always new devices and treatments and challenges, but just the fact that you never know what you're walking into when you put on that flight suit and uh, step into that helicopter, it really forces you to, um, to up your game. And I love that. I like that challenge. I love what both you and Michael just kind of spoke about and really just that idea that you do have to continue to grow, even if you're in the area of nursing that you really love, whether that be the ER, whether that be the ICU, whether that be, you know, home health, whether that be hot, whatever, whatever area of nursing that you're really passionate about. Like it's, you know, great, find your passion. And that may change over the years, right? I mean, we've, we've all shifted into different places, but the idea is that regardless of what type of nursing I'm doing, like there's always room to grow. There's always things that I can make myself better. I can grow my knowledge. I can learn something new. I can implement something new that will help me be a better nurse, help me take better care of my patients. You know, there's, there's never a point in this profession where you're going to like reach the pinnacle and there will be nothing else. Like that's it. You're, you're done. Um, that I don't think that will ever be the case in, in nursing and in healthcare in general. Like there's, there's always something out there. So you both have brought up some really good food for thought. And especially for those who are, you know, kind of new in their new in the career and and they're having to learn so much. And I know when I was, you know, a baby nurse, I thought to myself, gosh, if I can just get to that five-year point, oh, if I can just get to 10 years, like I'll know everything. And what I quickly realized is there is no end goal here. (laughs) There's just being better today than I was yesterday. And then I will be tomorrow, you know? So thanks for, thanks for bringing all those good points up. Um, One of the things that I did want to ask you about is flight nurses make really quick decisions. And you talked about, you know, how there are some protocols out there for flight nurses, but then also just really relying a lot on your assessment and your ability to quickly decide, you know, Hey, we're going to start care here. We're going to do this while we're in the field versus rapidly transporting. So grabbing them up, snatch them up, putting in plane and going like, how, how does that decision-making happen? If you kind of walk us through, like you arrive on the scene and it's a mess, like where, where does your mind go? How do you make that decision? 
I think it all comes down to critical thinking. I, once again, I'll, I'll go back to the fact that I've just been really blessed in my career by um, the people I've been fortunate enough to work with and work alongside. Uh, when I started out in flight, my my medical director in in my area, so he was directly responsible for me in my ship, was um, Dr. Dan Davis, who's been a legend in in the field of resuscitation for years. But he would sit down and and because we were kind of a, a smaller organization at the time, or at least operating that way, um, a lot of my onboarding classes and stuff like that were with Dr. Davis directly, and he was readily available to us if we ever had a call or something like that. We could pick just pick up the phone and call him directly and and ask him questions. Um, and Dr. Davis is brilliant brilliant guy. But one of the most frustrating things about him is that he never gives you a straight answer. And so you, you could say, you know, Dr. Davis, Hey, is the sky blue? And he'll talk to you for 15 minutes about, you know, refraction of light and, and why we may perceive it as blue here, but it might really be green over here or whatever. It, it was just never straight answer. And at the beginning, I felt like that was was very frustrating because I was really just looking for, Hey, did I do the right thing? You know, this, this is what I saw. Was I correct? Is it, it, it should be a yes or no answer. And what I realized was he was really preparing me more in that medical model of thinking rather than the nursing model of thinking, which is there really is no black and white. Everything is gray. And so while you may look at a certain patient and immediately a specific diagnosis may pop into your head, you've always got to keep that list of differentials in the back of your head. And you always have to be, you know, constantly questioning, am I on the right path? And, and am I moving in the right direction? That doesn't mean that you're, um, you're hesitant or indecisive in any way. You still need to make that decision and move forward, but you're constantly questioning that decision and reevaluating uh, and reassessing your patient. And, and I believe that's the essence of critical thinking, the very definition of it. And one of those things that, that really kind of, solidified it because this wasn't a, a conscious effort on my part to say, Hey, I need to focus on critical thinking, at least not in the beginning, but that's just the way I was, I was kind of brought up, if you will, in flight medicine. And so I noticed this trend where we were kind of moving away from that in education and rather we were moving less to one-on-one -on -one with the docs and, and more to like the education department taking over. And so when we go to these sim labs, a lot of the answers were black and white and, and they would throw a scenario to you and you would go down one path and they'd be like, no, that's wrong because of this. And, and so we were losing that, that kind of effort at critical thinking. And I think the thing that really drove it home to me was I was reviewing a chart from, a, from another flight crew and they'd gone in on this patient and the patient was tachycardic and the patient was hypotensive and the patient had a, a rapid respiratory rate. And all of that was due to the fact that um, it was a massive GI bleed and, and he was in hemorrhagic shock. But the plan of the referring physician was we're going to treat each one of those things in isolation. We're going to give them a fluid bolus for the hypotension. We're going to uh, give him more sedation for the rapid respiratory rate because he was on a ventilator. And um, we're going to give dilthiazem for the rapid heart rate and try and bring that down. And, and if you took each one of those, those symptoms in isolation, you know, each of those is a viable option for that to, uh, or a viable solution to that problem. But if you looked at the picture as a whole, it was very evident that, hey, what this guy just needed was another couple of units of blood. And that probably would have fixed all three of them. And I think that was the point where I, I kind of got on the soapbox of 
this is where our focus should be. We, we should be looking at protocols and guidelines and stuff like that. And we should be looking at what standard of care is. But one thing that we don't really emphasize in our training modules is the ability to critically think and the ability to, you know, to move down a path, reevaluate constantly, but not be so tied to uh, that answer that we came up to that we can't shift gears and move in another, another direction if, if that's what the evidence is presenting to us. Um, and so that, that's become a passion of mine. And I'm, I'm happy to say that my organization, not through any fault of my own, but my organization seems to be embracing that ideal and we're kind of turning the ship and moving more in that direction, um, I feel like. But I think that's one of the things that we, we should stress for every clinician, whether you're you know brand new grad on med surge, whether you're just starting out in the ICU, whether you're a, a 20 or 30 year ER nurse, we could all do better at critically thinking. I think that's a great point, Steve. And um, I appreciate you sharing that with us and a uh, really good perspective with that too. And I did want to ask you, you know, you were talking about Dr. Davis just a minute ago, you're talking about Dr. Davis. And then at the beginning, you were talking about an ICU manager. And we always like to ask people about a person or a moment in the career that greatly impacted them. And so I don't know if, if one of those is that person, I don't know if it's a patient you cared for or family member or whoever, but is there something in your career when you look back at it and you go, that really made a difference in what I was doing that really impacted me. Do I have to narrow it down to one? <laughs> you don't have uh, to, no. So and that's, people. that's if somebody asked me that question, Steve, I would be responding the exact same way. There are so many, and that's the hard part. There's so many people that help yeah. mold us into, into who we are today. But um, yeah, if there's, if there's a couple of them, that's fine as well. I tell you what, what I tell everybody when they, um, when they come up to me and they say, Hey, I'm interested in flying. I give them my standard spiel about here's, here's what you need to do to prepare yourself. But one of the things I like to tell them, because this was kind of a shock for me, you know, I'd, I'd been working in the same hospital for 10 years when I started flight, actually 15, but 10 as a nurse. And I was kind of, I was kind of a go-to guy in my year, not to, you know, brag or anything like that. But if there was like a really critical patient that would come in, you know, the doctor would, would say, Hey, Steve, can you come in and help me with this? Cause I was good at operating the pumps and, and stuff like that. And, and good at working in that team environment and stuff. And so that felt very good and it was awesome. And then I came to flight and it was just such a humbling experience uh, in a good way. So I like to tell people who are getting ready to do this, that starting in flight is a little like going to Harvard. You know, you could have been valedictorian at your high school, uh, but you get to Harvard and everybody is a valedictorian. And so I'm constantly, I, I work with so many just amazing clinicians, brand new ones, seasoned veterans, um, but I'm I'm constantly learning every day. And I, I try to be really appreciative of that fact and recognize in the moment that how blessed I am to be in that environment. Uh, but if I had to narrow it down, Dr. Davis would definitely be up there uh, in the top. He, uh, he has such a great teaching model. And like I say, it was a little frustrating until I, I got the gist of what he was trying to, to impart to me, which was not so much, hey, here's the answer to your question, but here's how to think about your question. Here's how to approach your question without bias, without ego, and really with an open mind, because as soon as you start saying, I know it, the patient's not going to have read that particular medical book, and they're going to do something completely different. That was great. Another one who, who really stood out to me, and I'm blanking on her name, which is an unforgivable sin because she was in charge of the new grad ICU program way back when I started out in ICU. And 
she was so instrumental. She had such a passion for education and learning. And she basically created this program where they were taking new grad nurses and training them for six months in the ICU and the ER. And then we were floating around the hospital, uh, just kind of as a, like a, an internal registry kind of thing. But she made such an impression on me about learning and the passion for learning. And she'd been a nurse for 20 years at that point in time. And she was still just super enthusiastic about it. And I think that really made a mark on it, on me. But day to day, I just, get, I get to work with some rock stars and uh, I just try and, and stay humble and keep my mind open and absorb as much knowledge from them as I possibly can. And I love, you know, Steve, even if you didn't remember that person's name, which we both, the three of us have probably forgotten more names than we will be able to remember in our lifetime once you add in patience and just people that come across your path. But the standout is that her attitude towards nursing, her passion and her desire to impart that and to kind of, you know, help you who were, you know, who was new and and needed a lot of assist to grow, you know, in the beginning that she took the time to really feed and water and grow the next generation of nurses. And she did it with, you know, kindness and compassion, which that's the stuff people remember. People are going to remember the way that you treated them, the way that you made them feel while they were with you, whether that be a patient, whether that be a family member, whether that be a coworker, whether that be a new student, it, it really is the way that you handle yourself and make them feel. So there will probably be lots of people who won't remember names of people like that, but you'll always remember that is how they made me feel around them. And the type of, you know, they set an example that you want to be that for someone else, you know, so they may not remember your name, but, you know, I hope that that can be said of me one day. They might not remember my name, but they remember, you know, who, who I was, the type of nurse that I presented to them and the person that I was, and that's the impact right there. So whoever you are out there, just know that Steve speaks very highly of you. (laughs) Good job. (laughs) Well, I'm going to remember in a couple hours. I'm just going to call and leave it on your voicemail, and then we'll just um, we'll, we'll come back in. in and edit and, and drop, drop that in. Be like, yes, right, <laughs> no problem. Well, Steve, I do have a few rapid fire questions. Again, they're yeah. just some of your favorites, and really the reason that we ask them on this podcast is because we want to get to know you. I mean, obviously, you have you know, uh, an extensive career in nursing and in flight and critical care and just a load of advice that you can give us professionally. But this is just a way to get to know you a little bit as the person that you are, the whole person. So here we go. What would you be doing if you were not in your current role? I would probably be an engineer or uh, something along that lines. One of the things I love the most about my job is problem solving and kind of unraveling the mystery. And so my father was an engineer. He was an aerospace engineer. And um, he was probably one of the best problem solvers I've ever met. So I think I think I might have followed in his footsteps. Awesome. That is not one that you hear all that much because... I'll be real with you. Some of my friends were engineers when I was in my first undergrad program and they like, they always seemed to be like, they had to be studying stuff all the time. Lots of math. That does not look like that is an easy degree program at all. That it, there is no give me courses. in that. So constantly oof. learning. Yeah. Oh, but we need engineers. So, but okay. I'm still glad, I'm still glad you, you kind of came into this profession. So Glad we kept you. Glad glad we kept you. Um, Okay. Some other favorites. 
What is your favorite book? And this can be, you know, like all-time favorite or it could be something that you're currently re- currently reading that you would recommend. Well, if we're looking for recommendations um, on combat, I think for anybody who's in the flight community uh, is an amazing book about stress inoculation and how mm-hmm. to train uh, to be able to perform in intense moments. So that's one of my favorites there. It's not light reading. I wouldn't recommend that if you're looking for uh, a way to escape. I'd say probably light reading. I'm a huge fan of Robert Ludlum, uh, who does spy novels from the 70s and the 80s. I read a lot of him when I was in high school, and I just recently kind of rediscovered it and am working my way back through his collection. So he did Born Identity, which is the big movie with Matt Damon. He wrote the book. For that which is probably his most famous one but he's got a ton of great books out there okay so on combat is not my beach read but yeah. possibly a very a good read a deep read so yeah you'll you'll definitely walk away from it smarter and better but it like i said it's not light reading it's it's really geared toward the military and law enforcement and how mm-hmm. they operate in life and death situations but so much of that is transferable to what we do in the air medical community because you're thrown into an unfamiliar situation that you've probably trained for a hundred times in your life, but you haven't seen it in six months and now boom, perform. And uh, yeah, so he talks a lot about how the brain works, how, how, uh, how we react to stress, what happens to us um, at the chemical level, and then how we can, uh, how we can improve our training and our education to be able to perform better in those situations. Hmm. I'm going to put that on my list. So thank you for that. I will now ask you for another recommendation. Looks like I need to get sticky notes out. What is your favorite TV show? Again, this can be like all time favorite, or it can be something you're currently watching that you're like, this this is good. So I, my wife and I um, are rarely home at the same time. So we always like pick a show um, and we're not allowed to watch it unless we're both there. Um, so right now we're working our way back through Game of Thrones. Um, and I'm finding that I love it as much the second time through as I did the first. So that's like like right on the tip of my brain. But if I had to pick one show, if I was stranded on a desert island with a VCR and and just one episode or one show, it would be The Office, hands down. Oh, that's so funny. Um, one, I think it's hysterical when I hear that like couples that they'll watch a show together and it's the the universal pact that you cannot watch the show without the other person to me what like makes me chuckle is when someone will like tell me they're like Look, I watched an episode but don't tell so and so because you know we're not sp-. and I'm like it's literally like you <laughs> you did something bad but it's really you just watched an episode and now you're ahead and you don't want them to know. And I'm like, it, that's just funny. But it's also, I mean, especially when, you know, lives are busy and full, it's kind of funny because it's, I mean, my husband and I will go for a period of time if we've started a show and it'll be like a month has passed since we had time to like catch up and he'll be like, I don't remember. And I'm like, oh, I sort of remember. And then, you know, then you have the choice of are we going to go watch the one that the last episode we watched together again and catch up oh, the quandaries of TV shows, but yeah. both of yours are great recommendations. Game of Thrones is a, an investment, but I will also say yeah. that the office had so many seasons as well. So you're kind of, you're giving us some like long-term commitments for TV shows, which 
Oh yeah. I'm, I'm fortunate right now that I work with a, with a medic partner whose superpower is that no matter what time of day it is, he can find the office on TV <laughs> on some channel. Um, and so I, I constantly am coming out of my room at work and boom, there's the office and I can just sit down and pick them up anywhere, any of the episodes and, and I chuckle every time. Yeah. That, the, the office is usually just a good escape and a good laugh. So definitely a good recommendation. Okay. Well, you are two for three so far. So I'm excited to hear this next one. So your favorite musical artist. Um, so I'm a hack guitar player. I've been playing guitar for, I don't know, 30, 40 years and, and I'm really bad at it, but it, <laughs> It's kind of given me a passion for it. My favorite artist, I grew up in the 80s. So that was all hair metal and techno music. And then Guns N' Roses hit the scene in 1987. And they were just such a breath of fresh air. And I immediately became a huge Slash fan who's their lead guitarist. I've probably seen him live half a dozen, maybe a dozen times. And he's just, I, I can just listen to him play guitar for days. That's, that's an easy one. Although Led Zeppelin is a close second. You have, again, a great recommendation. Classic. There's a lot of like musical artists out there, especially like in the current day and age where it's, you, as long as you can sing, like the music, you know, you're an artist. Really, if you go back a few years and even currently, there are just some people who truly are musical artists. They not yeah. only can they sing and write good lyrics, but they do things like, like with music that just... They're so unique and so different and so stand out. And I really think that that's, you know, that's something that sets people apart. When you talk about like, oh, a good singer, there's great singers out there. But when you talk about like someone who is truly what I would consider like an artist in the music industry, it does kind of narrow the field a little bit, but you've definitely picked one for sure. Again, three out of three great recommendations. Thank you, Steve. Awesome. Um, <laughs> great. You're doing great. So what is your comfort food or a meal that you really enjoy? So if my helicopter were to go down on a deserted island uh, with a Chinese chef, I could eat chicken fried rice every single day for the rest of my life. The spicier, the better. Steve, you're going to have a hard time finding a deserted island with a Chinese chef and a VCR. I know. I know. It's not going to be easy, Mike, but I have a dream. Honestly, when you said VCR, I was, should we define that for those who maybe <laughs> have no idea what that is? Um, so it's a video cassette recorder. Yeah, I think that's what it's right. for. Should have probably gone with a DVD player because, you know, <laughs> then they would last longer. But I'm dating myself. No, no. My parents hold on to a lot of like VCR tapes um from when we were a kid i don't know if they thought it was going to kind of be one of those things that like it would come back i haven't seen that yet but steve so your desert island will or deserted island or an island somewhere will have a vcr and apparently a, a chef who can make chicken fried chef, rice chef. yeah so yeah 100%. I hope that, gotta have some chickens on your island too so okay and, and a don't don't come and find me. Don't rescue me because I'll be in heaven right there. As long as, and I need I need a copy of Guns N' Roses, Appetite for Destruction. And then, yeah, I'm done. You, you were set. Okay. Well, do you have any other hobbies or interests that you could share with us outside of nursing and great TV shows and apparently living on a desert island very well? So Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. So um, I've, I've always been in the outdoors, uh, which I think also is kind of a common trait among uh, 
air medical providers. Um, they most seem to be um, outdoorsy type people, but I've always loved hiking and backpacking and um, getting away from the crowds. I like camping. I don't like car camping because everybody can get to where the cars can get to. So um, I like to be able to kind of get off the grid and get away. So my latest midlife crisis is I bought a Forerunner a couple of years ago and have spent the last couple of years modifying her and, and putting all of the toys on her uh, and have recently got into overlanding. So that's my, my latest thing. And so if I can get away for three, four days, four days would be a dream, but usually three days I can, I can carve out. I sleep better in a tent on a sleeping bag on the ground than I do in my, my fancy house. Um, so that's my real self-care and kind of recharging the batteries and reset and everything and kind of keeping myself grounded. There's something to be said about yeah. taking some time and just getting, getting away. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. Out, out of cell coverage. Mm -hmm. Out of cell coverage, sleeping under the stars. Uh, yeah, it's, it's the best. It's, it's so good for just like draining. You literally can feel the stress draining out of your body. So mm -hmm. well, I'm I hoping to get to do that for several more years to come. <laughs> I can see why you have put a little bit into your hobbies to, to do it. It sounds, it sounds more like you've just put stuff into taking care of yourself. So I applaud that in whatever shape and form that people decide to do. Cause you know, once you kind of figure that out, it really is worth whatever time and effort you have to put into it. It really does translate to oh, yeah. better quality of life. And the longer that you can last and especially in our profession, but I mean, in any profession that's high stress where people's lives are dependent on how well you perform. So, you know, the better care you take of yourself, the better care you can take of others. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, Steve, if our audience would like to follow you online, 100%. what social media platforms could they do that on? Uh, I'm not real big on social media. I, I mean, I have a Facebook account, but I never look at it. Uh, I'm, I'm mostly on Instagram, dad to BKCS. And um, if you want to see pictures of my forerunner, I, I, I throw a lot of them up there, but that that's pretty much the only platform I'm on. Steve, thank you for sharing everything with us today and talking about your career and your passion for flight nursing, critical care, emergency care, and um, just really sharing a lot about you. It's been great getting to know you more. I've known you, like I said, at the beginning for a couple of years, but it's been really nice just uh, finding out a little bit more about you, your passions for nursing, your hobbies and, and those things, and really looking forward to um, continuing to work with you on this CFRN group, as well as hearing you um, present at a future conference. So thanks again for being here today. It's been a really great conversation. I appreciate it. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me on. I'm, I'm really looking forward to the, uh, to the conference in Dallas uh, in May. It's coming up uh, pretty quick, but uh, this has been an awesome experience. Thank you. Well, I want to take this time to thank Steve for joining us for this episode of BC and Friends. Thank you, Steve, for sharing your knowledge, your time, and your passion with us. And we are looking forward to spending some face-to-face -face time with you at Learn Live in Dallas. It's May 15th through 17th of 2023. Um, to see the agenda, get registered, you can go to bcn.org backslash bcn learn live. You don't want to miss it. To all of our listeners. We hope you will stay tuned with us as we continue with BCN and Friends and bring you new and meaningful content and perspective. If you have a suggestion for an episode, please email us at bcn at bcn.org. I'm Holly Briggs here with Michael Dexter. And on behalf of the entire BCN team, we thank and celebrate you for all that you're doing as professional nurses across the emergency spectrum. Until next time, we are out. <laughs>